As we celebrate missions, uh, we celebrate a God of missions. He has called us to the nations, and we as a church uh, have a responsibility to surrender our lives to the work of God, because God is not finished with this world. Uh, even though sometimes we look at it and we say, God, when, when are you going to come back? When is this all going to end? Uh, God has not finished. He, his desire is that all would be saved. And so he has called his church to the task of missions. And, and so we're going to look at that this morning and ask ourselves the question, are we a church on mission? Now, Cypress Bible Church has a rich history uh, of being a, a supportive church of the work of missions. But are we a church on mission? And, and they're really two different things. It's one thing to give your money to support the work of missions. It's a, another thing to be involved and engaged in the work that God is doing in the missionary calling. And so I think maybe a better question than to ask is, are we a church moved by the power of the Holy Spirit? Are we a church moved by the power of the Holy Spirit? Leading up to this, this week, we were challenged to do 21 days of prayer, fasting, Bible, harvest. So, dedicating ourselves to, to praying that God would move in and through us. Dedicating our, ourselves in fasting, giving up things that, that might be tempting or things that might be a stumbling block for us in our, in our walk with God. Dedicating ourselves to proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And all of these things we are doing, not to present ourselves to God and say, God, look how loyal I am to you, but to present ourselves to God and, and look into ourselves to find what, what are our strengths, what are our weaknesses, what does God have to work out in me? Jesus says that the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says this in the garden when he's, he's about to face the crucifixion. He's about to be humiliated. He's about to be tortured, beaten, suffer, and crucified on a cross. He, he knows what awaits him. And he's in anguish to the point of crying tears of blood. And, and what are the disciples doing? The disciples are taking a nap. And he comes back. What are you doing? And he, and he does this three times. And in that, he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And not too long after that, Peter denies Jesus the Christ three times. But you'll notice a very strong transition of what happens after the risen Lord, after the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. There's something very different that happens in the life of the disciples. Not too long after that, Peter and John are found in the temple. And their attitude is, is very different. It's, it's completely contrary to the nature of what they, they just experienced not too long ago. Taking a nap, denying Jesus. Now, Peter and John in the temple, Peter filled with the Spirit, he speaks boldly. And he declares the Gospel. The, the God who became flesh and came to this earth, you crucified. 
You've rejected Him, but He is risen from the dead. And there is no other name under heaven by which man must be saved. And He's declaring this to the religious leaders of the day. It would have had to have been a very hard thing for Him to do. And their response is, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, they understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. And they were amazed. And they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. That made all the difference. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The acknowledgement that they had surrendered their lives to the work of God changed the way they looked at things. And the religious leader says, okay, you guys, enough of this. Just go, but don't, don't tell anybody about Jesus again. And what do they do? They turn around and they start declaring the gospel again. And this time, they they torture them. And they praise God that they were counted worthy to be tortured for their faith, for the good news of the Gospel. So, So there's something in this working of the Spirit within us individually. There's something about the working of the Spirit in His church that we are all called to. But we have to recognize that if we don't walk in the Spirit, we might be found taking a nap. We might be found saying, I, I don't know him. Maybe in the workplace, maybe in, in your school, maybe in the public when we just kind of turn away from things and we don't just boldly proclaim, no, this is wrong. Jesus has overcome sin and the world and he has risen from the dead. And anyone who puts their faith in him shall be saved. That is, that is the heart that we're supposed to have. So our goal is to learn how to walk in that Spirit, to be filled daily with the Spirit of God. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of your flesh. I want that for, for myself. I want that for my family. I want that for this church. So the 21 days was a part of that, of of working those things out so that we can learn to walk in the Spirit. So part of the 21 days, we were were challenged to read the Spirit Walk. Uh, And if you didn't get a copy of that, if you haven't read it, I would still encourage you to go through that. Because it's all about how do we walk in the power of the Spirit. And one of the first things that I was convicted by was this this idea of commitment. How many of us would consider ourselves committed Christians. Committed Christians. I think, I think many of us would, would consider ourselves committed Christians, right? So we, we're committed to coming to church on Sunday. We're committed to, to maybe a, a life group, a formation group, a, a Bible study, a men's group, a women's group. Uh, we're committed maybe as, as serving as elders or deacons. Or, so we're committed to these things, right? But, but what if I told you commitment wasn't enough? What if commitment was falling far short of what God would desire for us? Commitment sounds good, but commitment really means that I'm still in control. I'm willing to commit to this. I'm willing to commit to that, but maybe that's asking too much. I'm not committed to that, right? So we are in control. And so in the book, he talks about this idea of surrender, right? Surrender is giving your life over to God and saying, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. 
It's, not, it's no longer you're making the choices. It's God making the choices for you, and you're just learning to walk in that. Understanding as you're connecting with God in the Spirit that He is directing you by the power of His Spirit, where He wants you to go, what He wants you to do. He promises when you do that, you will, you'll have joy to the full. You'll have peace. You'll have happiness. But we kind of doubt that. and We say, I would kind of like to be in control of that part of my life. And so, God, I'm committed to give you this, this, and that, but um, that's, that's all I have. I don't think that's the heart of our Father. I don't think that's what Jesus Christ died on the cross for. I don't think that demonstrates the power of His resurrection that is supposed to be in all of us. And so how do, we, how do we learn to walk in that life that God would have for us? Surrendered to Him fully, individually. But more importantly, how do we, how do we surrender to that calling as a church? Are we taking a nap or are we walking in the power of the Spirit? Do we have the boldness and the confidence to walk daily in that power to declare His glory to this world. The whole world, one day, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. God promises one day that will happen. And so we just put our faith and trust in God that He will bring about all of these things as we learn to walk in His Spirit. But as the disciples begin this journey, He told them that they were to wait after the resurrection, he says, wait in the city, right? Until you are filled with the power from on high. And he commissioned them. He commissioned them to go. He commissioned them to go where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. But they were to do that when they received the power of the Spirit within them. And so this morning I want to look at Acts 13 and 14 as we look at Paul's first journey, as we think about how is God called the church in this world to be a part of God's mission. So Acts 13, we start with, now there was a church in Antioch. So Antioch, the church of Antioch, is an interesting study because when you begin to, to kind of evaluate where does this church come from, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty far away from Jerusalem. Um, who started the church? Where did it come from? So Acts 1.8 tells us we are to go, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. But we get all the way to Acts 8 and the church is still in Jerusalem. So anytime we, we rebel against God, we don't fulfill what God has called us to do, guess what God does? He, his will is still going to be done, right? And so we, either, we have a choice. We can either obey Acts 1.8 or we get Acts 8.1. Saul, after the persecution, after the death of Stephen, says he hardly agreed with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution came against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud, loud lamentation over him. But Saul began to ravage the church, engaging house after house and dragging off men and women and putting them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered 
went about preaching the word. Now it says here that everyone was, ex- was scattered except the apostles. So the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but the rest were scattered. And so it's, it's very likely that Antioch was planted by this scattering. As they went about proclaiming the gospel, the church of Antioch comes about. Antioch is largely a Gentile church. Uh, certainly uh, many of the leaders were probably still Jewish, uh, but we come to Acts 15 and, and we begin to see this dialogue between when the Gentiles start coming to faith, they start asking these questions. Shouldn't the Gentiles be, be circumcised? Shouldn't they be circumcised? And so they have this debate in Jerusalem um, and, they, and they decide that the Gentiles do not have to be circumcised. So they sent this letter and they send the letter to Antioch And it says in in 1523 that they were praising God for this. Now, you might think that they were praising God that they didn't have to be circumcised, which would be reasonable. Uh, But I think largely they're praising because at the beginning of the letter, it says, to my brothers. To my brothers. So the Gentiles were feeling alienated, like they weren't, weren't really a part of the church, like maybe they were lesser than... But at the beginning of those letters, the elders and the apostles are writing, and they said, to our brothers. So that had to to have given them great joy that now we are now, we are on equal level with the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem, with the Jews. We now are one church united. That was was a a worthy thing to, to be praising and honoring God for. They were now included in this. And so Antioch begins this journey of of discovery of what does God have for us and where do they start. They come together with their leaders and while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit came and He said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And when they had finished fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and they sent them off. So being sent by the Holy Spirit. So as the church comes together, as they realize their identity in Christ and, and what God has called them to, they're fasting and they're praying. Church, do we, do we fast and do we pray? Do we, do we want God's will? Do we want the Holy Spirit to move in and through us? That, then many times that calls to this act of, again, surrender. We're asking God, God, what is your will? For us, What is your will and, and what do you want to do through us as a church? That's, that's an important step of surrender is seeking God's will and not our own. And so the church at, church at Antioch demonstrates this, this praying and fasting. They're worshiping the Lord and the Holy Spirit moves and he calls and, and sets apart Paul and Barnabas for this work. So Paul and Barnabas set off on this journey they go and, and they, take, they set sail. And they end up in, in Cyprus first. And they start proclaiming the gospel. So, so many years ago, me and my wife, when we were called into mission by God, we felt a very strong calling to Cyprus. We thought, Cyprus is where God has us. We're, we're ready to go. Now, through many different circumstances, uh, all of that didn't work out. 
And so we were like, okay, God, maybe you didn't call us to Cyprus. Well, I guess he did call us to Cyprus. It just took us a little longer to get, get here, right? And so it's, God, God's interesting in how he works sometimes because we are confident. God, you're calling us to Cyprus. And so here we are. Uh, that's just kind of a sidebar. But it's interesting how, how God works sometimes. You have to say, is, could that be that he was calling us here all along? Could be. So they enter into, into Cyprus. And we, so we think of the missionary journey. You think of a missionary. What is the first thing we should do? Uh, we tend to think that the first thing that we should do as missionaries is should we, we should just go in and love on people. We should get to know them and hug them and, and maybe feed them and give them some stuff. And maybe then they'll, they'll like us and we can maybe earn the right to share the gospel. Uh, that's generally not what you see in Scripture at all. And I'm not saying those things are bad. We should love people. God has called us to love the Lord our God and love our neighbor. And so we should be concerned about these things. But God's primary focus is always the gospel. It's always the good news. And so Paul and Barnabas run into to the magician, Elymas, and he begins to kind of cause trouble, right? And it says, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, gazed on him and said, You are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight way of the Lord? And then he says, you'll be, you'll be blind for a time. And he's blinded. And there was, there was a great multitude who believed. And so that probably wouldn't be our, our missionary focus. Like, let's go in and just speak this way to these people. Because they might reject us if we speak boldly like this. But that's not what Paul and Barnabas do. They speak boldly. Why? Because they're filled with the Spirit. That boldness of the Spirit allows them to speak with confidence that this is what God wants. So they finally get to the mainland, the calling of their, their mission, and they, they start in Antioch of Pisidia. And so Antioch is the sending church through Cyprus. They come up to the mainland, which is kind of uh, Turkey is what we would consider it today. And so they go into the city of Antioch. And the first thing they do is they go into the synagogue. So the synagogue, there's, I think there's a couple reasons probably why they started with the synagogue. Because God says to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. So they start with the synagogue. Uh, I think there's also probably another reason they start with the synagogue. Probably because it was very familiar to them. They knew how things worked in the synagogue. They knew where they could go in and where they could speak and, and who they needed to speak to. And so it was what was familiar to them. And so I think a lot of times when you think of, uh, when you think of the missionary calling, right? Everybody says, uh, okay, but just don't send me to Africa, right? Just don't send me to, to the Middle East or don't send, me to, don't send me to these places, right? God has something that is familiar to you right in your own home right in your own neighborhood, right in your workplace, right in your school. So start with what's familiar and filled with the boldness of the Holy Spirit. You could be used as a missionary right where you're at. But in this context, in this missionary journey that they're sending Paul and Barnabas on, they enter into the synagogue and they, they proclaim the gospel. And, and Paul basically gives the history of Israel all the way from Egypt to Christ. In verse 38, he says, Therefore, let it be known, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed from through the law of Moses. 
He speaks boldly and just lays it out. Here's what it is. Here is the gospel. You can accept it or you can reject it. And largely, there's there's some who believe, but many of them begin to persecute. They begin to, to be angered and jealous about this message that Paul was giving. And he says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began to rejoice and glorify the word of the Lord. And many had been appointed to eternal life. So he begins to change his focus from the Jews to the Gentiles. He brings the gospel to the Gentiles and the Gentiles rejoice because it is also for them. Verse 49 says, And when the word of the Lord began to spread through the whole region. This is an interesting verse because when we, when we tend to think of the missionary journey, we always focus on Paul and Barnabas and what they did. But how, how did the whole region begin to hear the gospel? Paul's not traveling through the whole region. Paul and Barnabas are, are staying right here. So over and over we see patterns in Scripture that if we're careful we can see them. So 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, Paul says what? He tells Timothy to take what I've given to you and pass it on to faithful men who will pass it on to others also, right? It's, it, we kind of take that Scripture and we isolate it, but when you read into this, Paul's strategy really hasn't changed because it's how the Holy Spirit's directing him. So Paul is passing on to faithful men, and guess what he's telling them to do? Pass it on to others. Train up others. Declare the gospel. And the gospel is flooding this whole region, not through Paul, but those who he's training and sending out. And so the whole region is is hearing the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as they begin to persecute Paul and Barnabas, they, they then go on to Iconum. And there again, they do the same thing, led by the Holy Spirit. They enter into the synagogue. They proclaim the gospel. They spent a long time there and spoke boldly with reliance upon the Lord. Verse 14.3 who is testifying to the word of His grace, granting that signs and wonders might be done by their hands. And so, they follow the same pattern. They go in, they proclaim the gospel, and the response by some is rejection. And those who reject it, they get angry, they get jealous, they begin to persecute. So they leave after, after pre- preaching the gospel, and they go on to Lystra. Uh, Lystra. Lystra, they have kind of an interesting encounter. They heal a man, and they wanted to then worship Paul and Barnabas as Zeus and Hermes. Uh, Paul and Barnabas said, said, no way, we can't have this. You will not worship me, but only the Lord our God, right? Uh, so they, they couldn't convince them of this, though, so they're preaching the gospel, but, but yet there's this, this large crowd that is gathering, and they begin to uh, get hostile. They begin to get hostile, and so they stoned Paul. Um, I don't know about you, but stoning doesn't sound like it would be a lot of fun. And they stone him to the point where they thought he was dead. And, and when we think of stones, we think of picking up little rocks, right, and, and kind of throwing them. But in context, they were picking up big boulders. And so they stone him to the point where they, they think he's dead, and they drag, him, they drag him out of the city. And Paul gets up, wasn't dead, and he moves on 
to the next city. And after this, he goes into uh, Derby. He preaches the gospel there in verse 21. And it's interesting because uh, if you look at a, a map of this region, Derby is really, really close to Paul's home city. So Paul of Tarsus, right? And so Tarsus is, is, is really close to Derby. So if you had been through all this, you had been stoned to the point where people thought you were dead, I think it would say, okay, God, I've proclaimed the gospel. I've done enough. I'm going to go rest for a few days, right? I'm, I'm going to take a break from this. Paul doesn't do that. Verse 21, he says, After they had preached the gospel to the city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, where he had just been stoned, to Iconum and to Antioch. Strengthening, strengthening the souls of the disciple, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders in every church, where did they appoint elders? In every church. So that means in every one of these locations, what did Paul leave behind? He left behind a church. And so this is where Paul's you know, definition of church begins to kind of infuse into the Scripture and, and into our minds. Paul, Paul's mission was a church planter. That's what he did everywhere he went. He didn't just proclaim the gospel and make disciples. He planted churches. And so this work that God had appointed him to by the Holy Spirit was to do what? It was to plant churches. And so he appoints elders and having prayed and fasted, they commended them to the Lord and whom they had believed. They prayed and fasted. So again, we're seeing patterns. The church at Antioch, they're praying and fasting, and the Holy Spirit moves and call out, calls out Paul and Barnabas. So again, Paul here is, they're praying and they're fasting in the church. They're commending them to the work of the Lord. Paul, we see these patterns continue over and over in Scripture. And so there are things that we have to pay close attention to. We, we are called to be a church that is, that is praying and fasting. Paul then begins his journey back to, to Antioch. In verse 26 it says, They sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God, for the work that they had accomplished. So the Holy Spirit commissions them to this work, and then upon their return, they said they finished the work. Now sometimes we would look at that and say, well, the work certainly wasn't done there, right? But that was the work that the Holy Spirit had set them apart for, and they said it was completed. So when we look at, we look at Antioch, Obsidia, we look at Iconum, Lystra, and Derby. This is the region of Galatia. Did, did the Galatian church have any issues? Issues to the point where Paul had to write them a letter, right? You foolish Galatians, how do you so easily abandon the faith that saved you? And he opens up that letter of Galatians and it's very scathing, right? So there, there are issues in this church. So many times when we think of uh, church planting, uh, a lot of times we think, how do we plant the perfect church? 
where there's no false doctrine, there's no heresy, uh, everyone is unified, and, and that's not church, right? Church is, church is messy. We're, we're messy. There's times that, that this church is going to need correcting. It's going to need to be convinced and rebuked and exhorted. And, and so we're, we're presenting ourselves to God and, and in this work that God would bring that correction in our lives. And so uh, Paul's not out to plant perfect churches. And many people would say of church planters, Paul might be the greatest apart from Jesus Christ himself, who has said he would establish his church and the gates of Hades would not prevail against it, right? So Paul was a great church planner. But Paul's goal wasn't to prevent church from heresy. Paul understood that heresy would come up and he would have to deal with it. And so he's writing letters. He's sending his disciples out to, to bring correction into these new churches. So it's an ongoing work, but the Holy Spirit's work, he said, is completed. And as the church gathered together, they began to report all the things that God had done. And they began to rejoice because they had opened up the faith to the Gentiles. So this is Paul's first journey. What, what do we learn from this journey? Uh, I think one of, the, one of the big takeaways from this journey is God's plan for reaching the world is it's the church. We love our missionaries, but God's ultimate plan is through the church. As we're praying and fasting, God will raise up labors that he will send out. And we've got some of our missionaries here this morning that, that we are, are sending out into the world to represent us as a church. But they are just extensions of who we are as a church. God has called out of His church to raise up labors for the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And Jesus says, therefore, pray to the Lord of harvest. So part of our praying and fasting is just, God, would you raise up labors for this time and for this day that the gospel may go forth, that your glory may be made known in the world? And what should we expect when we send people out into the world? Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. So a lot of times we, we pray, God, keep our missionaries from persecution. But really our prayer should be, God, when they are persecuted, because of their boldness and their confidence, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, let them endure it. Let them be overcomers of it, just like Paul was. Because it'll be a testimony to God's glory. I'm sure when Paul came back into Lystra, somebody had to say, isn't that the guy we stoned to death? Why would he come back to this place? That had to have been a pretty loud testimony to somebody. Unless Paul just went undiscovered, which could be possible, but I'm sure somebody was made known of it. Missions is messy, but ultimately it's what God has called us to. None of us are perfect. None of our missionaries are perfect. I'm not perfect. But we serve and worship a God who is. And He provides to us His power, His authority in heaven and on earth. And what does He say? Therefore, go. 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, to observe all the things that I have commanded, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So are we a... Are we a missions church? I hope that first and foremost we're a church moved by the Holy Spirit. Moved by God Himself to mission. And when we surrender our lives to that calling, God moves. God works. The Holy Spirit calls. He raises up. He sends. And we begin to see the church expand. And we do this Our mission is until there is no place left on this planet where they have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Where there's no place left where disciples are not being raised up. Where there's no place left where the church isn't thriving and healthy and multiplying. And when the task is complete, the end will come. But the task isn't complete. We want to finish well, right? We want to finish well. And that means we've got to get the gospel out. That's what we've been commissioned to. That's what we've been called to as a church. So as we are filled and empowered by the Spirit of God, we surrender ourselves. God, would you use us for your glory? And so we have an an opportunity as a church this morning to respond to God's call into mission. So we have our our next step cards. And you'll see on this, not just an opportunity to give. Those of you who can give, we would encourage you, please give as God calls you. But it's not just about giving, right? It's about saying, how would God use you in His mission for the world? Maybe it's serving here locally. Maybe it's going on a a short-term trip. Maybe God is calling you into long-term work. Maybe the Holy Spirit this morning is calling you to say, set apart for me. And if He said your name, would you respond to it this morning? My prayer is that you would. So as we begin to continue to worship this morning, I pray that you would respond as God would call. If you would fill this out, come and lay it here on the steps. Or you can turn it in next week, as, as has been said, in the, in the offering or at the go table out here in the commons. Uh, but as call, God calls you, would you respond to Him? Uh, Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day. We thank you that you are a God of mission uh, and that we don't do that of our own strength. We don't do that of our own wisdom. We do that by the power of the Spirit that works within us. So Holy Spirit, would you move in this place this morning? You have called us, Lord. Who have you called this morning? And how would they respond? Is it, in, is it in going? Is it in giving? Lord, I pray that you would work mightily and powerfully this morning through this church that we could worship you in mission, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.